favored. I'm favored? This is favored? No one is going to believe this. No one is going to believe this. No one's going to believe this. What am I going to do? What's Joseph going to do? Where do I go? What do I do? Now, your cousin Elizabeth has conceived a son. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. I'll go to Elizabeth. <laughs> We're in the second week of Advent, friends. And we continue reflecting on a question that is confounding. How does a weary world rejoice? And this week, we find Luke drawing our attention to two unlikely people. In Judea, the southern region of Israel, we find Elizabeth hiding hiding herself in seclusion during her pregnancy after a lifetime of infertility, which she describes as having disgraced herself among her people. And for any in the room who have navigated infertility, you can imagine the hard road, the anxiety and the fear that accompany this thread of hope that Elizabeth has been given. After years of being looked down upon, perhaps having to field countless thoughtless questions and comments from the community around her, who in your family has sinned that you don't have a child? How long have you really been trying? What have you been eating lately? Have you tried cutting out this or that? Luke doesn't tell us how many miscarriages she may have already grieved up at this point. Has she had pity exacted on her from her wider community? It seems so by her comments always on the outside of conversations where she hears mothers around her boasting of their own offspring, or maybe complaining about the frustrations of parenthood that she will never know. And then, of course, there is the very real concern around the welfare of her household should anything happen to Zechariah. And now, 
She glances down at her arthritic hands, wondering how her aged body will nurse a newborn child. Is it any wonder that she's keeping herself away from others? Luke parallels this weariness of age and barrenness by taking us up to the northern region in Galilee where we find a young woman engaged to be married who is told she has found favor with God. And in Greek, this word for favor would connotate things like wealth, material good, prosperity, good health, safety, all things that Mary currently doesn't have. All the things that Mary desires. But rather, Mary's favor finds her giving birth to a son who will reign over all the nations. Good news? Yes. Just the liberation she and her kin have been hoping for. Good news, absolutely, in the long run. But right now, this pregnancy is grounds for divorce at best, and at worst, execution by stoning. Mary's consent to this request knowingly places her in a profoundly dangerous situation. Being well-versed in the stories of Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Joseph and many more, Mary recognizes that to be found in favor with God might lead to a really exciting life, but hardly ever an easy one. So with haste, we are told, she goes to the only place that makes sense for a young unwed mother to go, the only person who might believe her, who might offer comfort, maybe even some wisdom. Nearly a hundred miles away, a week's long journey, and Luke doesn't tell us that anyone accompanies her. Roads may be laden with Roman soldiers, Jewish nationalists, bandits, even in a company of travelers, this kind of travel is highly dangerous during this time. This is not quite the demure, quiet Mary that we imagine on the fronts of our Christmas cards, but a decisive young woman meeting the moment she's been presented with for the sake of her people for the sake of the world. And she will risk everything to participate in bringing about liberation and shalom to every nation. Mary here is demonstrating a maturity that is well beyond her years. And her courage might be matched with an equal measure of fear and anxiety. By the time she arrives to her destination, she's landing on the front steps as an unwed mother to a temple priest. It's not necessarily the first place we'd go if we got that kind of news, is it? 
And I can just imagine how glad she is when she finds Zechariah silent. That's some good timing for her, isn't it? Where is she? She asks. Where is Elizabeth? And silently, Zechariah leads her to the place where his wife has placed herself in hiding. Mary enters. Elizabeth. And at the sound of her youthful, anxiety-ridden voice, one miracle fetus recognizes another and moves. Even in utero, John was at work preparing the way for the Lord. And something awakens inside Elizabeth. Suddenly, surprisingly, joy floods the space between them. And overcome with the Spirit of God, Elizabeth recognizes Mary as the mother of her Lord. And her joyful recognition inaugurates the first ever advent of Christmas. Celebrated not in the temple, not in the synagogue, not among people gathered in the streets, but here privately between two expecting mothers. And they won't celebrate it for five weeks with some helpful resources or a little calendar that they check off, but for an entire gestational period physical time. What's long been distant, hope, now comes into the actual world. And the first thing that Elizabeth indicates to Mary, I believe you. <sighs> Can you imagine? What healing words women are so often required to say to one another, I believe you. I believe what God has entrusted you with, what God has promised. I believe your story. And I believe you can do this, Mary. I believe you. Luke tells us that Mary remains with Elizabeth throughout the rest of her pregnancy, paying attention, watching every move Elizabeth makes, no doubt wondering if she has to do the exact same thing very soon, wondering what her body might do, looking to Elizabeth to see what kind of resolve is needed to bring a child into the world. And no doubt, Zechariah, unable to speak, watches and listens, finding new eyes and new ears. Watching Mary hold her hand against Elizabeth's belly to feel John kick. Watching Elizabeth wipe Mary's spready, sweaty brow through the sickness of a first trimester listening to these women wonder aloud 
what it might mean to parent a prophet. What will it take to raise a spiritual and political revolutionary in this time? One that will liberate all people. It's the thing they have in common. And he has a front row seat to the physical embodied theology of his female kin who are likely illuminating to him spiritual truths that he has never even thought to explore. And this religious leader, for the first time, perhaps in his entire life, will imagine the kingdom of God being ushered forth not on a battlefield, but on a birthing stool. You see, it's in these deep connections that joy springs forth. The circumstances of the world around this family have not changed. Rome is still in power. Israel still can't decide. It's factioning off. There are groups forming, trying to figure out what does it mean to wait for a Messiah. All of that is happening outside, but inside the house, deep connection. Todd mentioned last week that Brene Brown describes joy as an upward spiral. In her book, Atlas of the Heart, she defines joy as an intense feeling of deep spiritual connection, pleasure, and appreciation. And she characterizes that deep connection as something that happens with others, with God, with nature, and the universe. She's talking about something that runs deep, a deep that calls to the deep inside us. And the potential for us as humans to experience this kind of deep connection with one another, with the world around us, it's vast. The interdependent web of life draws threads from ourselves to every other created thing. All potential conduits for joy. We seek out often the only other people who might be able to understand what it is we're going through. We find joy and connection with others. Just last week, my parents were telling me about the support group that they were going to for parents who have lost children. And this group of parents gathered together this month and in preparation, they made the favorite meals of their deceased children. And they brought them all to this room and they lit candles and they feasted. And they cried. And they laughed. And they experienced ache and profound joy in the remembrance of their children. Joy through the connection that drew them all there. A hard connection, though it was. Joy, just like it does with Elizabeth, draws us out. And joy gathers us in. And sometimes we're completely surprised by the connections that stir up joy in us. An unlikely friendship. Like was my experience with our neighbor, Ms. Brown. When we moved in, 
just up the street on Rank Avenue. My first encounter with Mrs. Brown was her peeking her head out her front door, looking pretty sternly at me. And um, she wasn't really dressed, and she was just kind of giving me the up and down, measuring me, this new neighbor of hers. And the first thing she asked me was, do you smoke? <laughs> no, ma'am, no, I don't. Do you drink? Occasionally, but not to excess. No, no. Do you do grass? By no means, ma'am. No, no. Oh, I was uh, hoping you might cut my grass. Oh, your grass. Perhaps we could arrange that. Yes, of course. And this elderly black Baptist woman was about to meet my wife. We didn't know how things were going to go. But it wasn't too long before Miss Dolores would be standing outside waiting for Hannah or I to arrive home from work, to bend our ear for 10, 20, Sometimes 30 minutes. Connection. She, though she was allergic, would wait outside in the garden in the backyard to have Callie come out and feed her crackers and give her pets. Joy. And not just joy and connection with people but with the natural world around us, through wildlife, through pets that show us unconditional love, through books that show us truth, through the tending of a patch of land that shows us that things come alive over and over and over, through remembering to look up the Milky Way and recognizing how small and insignificant we really are. Letting a piece of music wash over us and remind us that the world is a beautiful place, even in the midst of our weariness. And finally facing the fear that sits inside us that prevents us from just being silent with ourselves and wondering who we might meet there. And perhaps who we meet there is God, waiting to show us in our vulnerability that we are loved and that we are held. Connection. We find joy in connection, friends. And in connection, we resist the lie that the darkness tries to make us believe, which is that we are doing this all on our own. Which tells us that everybody else in our congregation seems to have their crap together, and I don't know why I don't. But we are here. We are experiencing this moment and in the midst of our weariness, 
Elizabeth and Mary remind us, connect, connect, friends, with one another, with the kin that you hold dear, with the neighbors that surround you, and remember, joy abounds, and that there is light that is coming forth, even in the darkness. Amen.